1: This episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. Visit our website at iflyvabeach.com to learn more about our group events to include leadership development, team building, and family fun.
0: In this series, entrepreneurs, industry executives, academics, public figures, and other highly effective professionals share their formulas for success with you.
1: Welcome everybody to this episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. If you've listened to previous episodes, you know that I love to have discussions with people who not only bring great value to me and my organization, after all, I employ 40 people But these are people who are going to bring great value to you and your organization. Today's guest is Chad Brown. In addition to being a coach, Chad is a leadership engagement expert. He coaches executives and entrepreneurs in the art and science of leadership for themselves, their teams, and their clients to create new, unprecedented results and experience fulfillment in their work. Notice he mentioned the art and science of leadership. We're going to dive deep into that. Chad is an associate partner with Take New Ground and the host of the Naked Leadership podcast with the founding partners of TNG. Chad founded a media production studio called Shade Tree Films in 2008 that has serviced global companies such as Volkswagen, Target, and Pixar Animation Studios. This is where his love and passion for leadership and causing results through others was ignited. He thrives in the extreme environments and finds comfort in difficult conversations. Over the last five years, Chad has trained and developed leaders at globally recognizable brands like Lululemon, I actually own a few Lululemon products myself, uh, and Ironclad Document Services, along with many burgeoning startups. When he is not engaging in meaningful conversation with leaders, you will find, or you won't find, Chad on a wild adventure in the mountains with his family. He resides at the foot of the Rocky Mountains in Orem, Utah, with his wife, Katie, and three children, Addison, Kenya, and Milo. Welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast, Chad Brown.
2: Bob, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be
1: here. I'm going to ask the most important question right out of the gate here. Let's How go. old is Addison, Kenya, and Milo? Uh, Milo. Milo.
2: yes, Milo. I'm sorry. No problem at all. They are. So Addison is 16. Kenya is 13 and Milo is nine.
1: Cool. Are these mountaineering children like their dad?
2: Well, uh, that depends on the day. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Typically they're not when we're leaving the house. And then once we get out there and they actually get the endorphins moving, uh, then they are. So it's, It's not rare that, you know, specifically our 13 year old daughter is complaining as we're packing up the the camelbacks and the hiking boots. And then when we're on the trail, she'll say something like, Dad, will you please remind me that I love doing this?
1: That's cool, man. That's cool. You live in just a beautiful part of our country. You know, uh, we were talking before I hit the record button I go out west with my family every year, and we've been to Utah a handful of times. Uh, Powder Mountain is where we go in the wintertime, and then we were out there this past summer, and just beautiful. What a beautiful part of America out there. You're blessed to live there.
2: My background is a playground that nobody knows about yet. So yeah, actually, just could, could we erase all of this? Actually, I don't want anybody to know that we're <laughs> yeah. here.
1: Right, right. <laughs> see, top, secret, top secret information. You see, you everybody...
2: Wrong? Everybody goes to the national parks in Utah, which we have five of them. Yeah. Um, and and that's great. I mean, those are very crowded. But man, the entire state has just so much to offer. We love being here. We lived in Southern California uh, about a decade ago for four years. And the access to wilderness and the the, the places to play was what what called us back. So I did that's grow great. up here. Um, That's I was born great. born and raised here in Utah in a small town just south of me now called Springville, Utah. Um, and my wife was actually, Katie was born in uh Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, wow. L- lived there till she was about six or seven, and then they moved down here to Utah.
1: What brought you to San Diego from Utah?
2: We were actually, we weren't in San Diego, we were in Riverside, if you know where that is.
1: Oh, sorry. Yeah, you said Southern Cal, I just think San Diego. Yeah,
2: yeah, and it's no problem at all. Um, what took me down there is I decided I had a, I got a crazy... Well, uh, this was on the, the back end of the real estate um, crash. And I, at the time, was over leveraged in real estate and had really pulled together a, a group of investors. And we had built a bunch of spec properties and did, doing some condo conversions. And it all really... The bottom fell out right right at the height of my leverage in, in that market, we lost, uh, we lost everything. Um, and, uh, I was still really young going through bankruptcy. We had our first child. I was trying to figure out what way was up and very, very frustrated, very confused, pretty depressed. And at that moment I decided, you know, all of that stuff, I was not doing it because I loved it. I was doing it because I thought there would be a lot of money in it. And I think that was one of my first, not my only, but one of my first mistakes in that venture. And uh, realizing that I decided I wasn't, the next thing I was going to do was not going to be about money. It was going to be about love and what I love to do, what I enjoy. And that's when I remembered how much I loved creating with a video camera. And, um, and so I decided uh, what better place to start a video production company than Southern California? So <laughs> at that point, packed up my three-year-old and and uh, I think at the time, eight-month-old. We packed everything we owned at that point into a Scion XB. If you know how big Scion XBs are, they're not very big. They're like a small apartment refrigerator on four wheels. Mm. We drove down to Southern California, uh, found um, a tiny little place to stay and started building a film production
1: company. Wow. And what did that result in? So
2: that you read it in the bio resulted in a company called Shade Tree Films. And um, just by sheer, you know, well, I I call it like two parts luck, one part hard work. Sure. Uh, well, you know, one... you
1: need you need both of those. Yeah,
2: that's exactly right. So there were so many instances that I can that I can think about in that journey that I just feel so lucky to have had that experience um, and to have somebody come into my life and fight for me or, you know, take a risk, take a chance on me, you know, you know how it goes. Um, And uh, yeah, we built a a little boutique film production company. It was based around commercial pieces online. We were really on the forefront of the YouTube advertisement movement, which was Ah. just amazing. And we also, the other piece of luck that was there for us was that, we hit it right as the equipment uh the the film like right as the film production equipment was getting very affordable but still really beautiful picture quality so as they as they introduced DSLRs with um full HD video mm-hmm. is right when we hit the market and we were kind of pioneering that movement using DSLRs for larger production projects
1: so commercial as in Television ads and commercials or commercial just as in commercial productions in general?
2: Just commercial. So the category of commercial. So we're working with companies to produce whatever it is, but most of it was online. YouTube advertisements, uh, brand promo videos for websites, all of
1: that kind of stuff. Congratulations on that early success. Are you still involved in film production?
2: I am. Yeah. In fact, I'm right in the middle of a transaction of selling the company to one of the interns we brought on in 2011. He's now going to own the company.
1: That's awesome. That man, when you can do something like that, that is incredible. I've got some friends here who they've brought some employees onto their organization, and and those employees wound up being great teammates. And they said, you know what? Let's set up your own LLC and start having you grow. You know, you're like we're gonna we're going to mentor you through the through the growth of your own organization and i love to see that in businesses it's
2: so fun it is such a fun process to see that development and then the ownership grow
1: how do we transition from that into all the aspects of leadership that chad brown is about and you know there's so much uh so much that i think you and i have in common and so much for us to discuss my leadership development you know my whole my whole life lifetime of leadership started really, it starts in childhood, but it becomes yeah. a, becomes a conscious thing in my case, uh, almost immediately when I joined the military. And then, you know, after 26 years, I get out and I establish my own business and have 40 employees. Leadership is on top of mind, tip of tongue every single day for me. How did that develop for you?
2: Yeah, it's a very, very different journey. <laughs> I think what I make up about the the military experience is that is that leadership is really baked into the experience right i mean it's sure. it's so visual from the moment you're there i'm guessing i haven't experienced it but what i've heard and actually listened to a few of your episodes and um heard a little little bits and pieces about your past so and i have so many questions but uh, that it mine was very different in that i just had um i had a good idea and a and a work ethic that wouldn't quit, and I didn't realize that that would bring leadership into my life. And in fact, I started exploring and learning about leadership through my own mistakes. A lot now, of people I do. It's a, I think it's a great way to do it. Maybe some of the people that I cross path with <laughs> cross paths with along the way wouldn't agree. Sure. Um, I've made amends with all the ones that I can remember. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, truly, it was a path. It, it, it was a journey of making mistakes and discovering. Oh, what I'm doing here is not providing a service or product. What I'm doing here is leading other people to results. And once I realized that and how poorly I was doing it, um, ah. I knew I knew I needed help. Um, what what we had set up in our lives and I say we because I had a business partner in that film production company at the time we were 50-50 partners and um what we had noticed is that we had set up a uh, a trap our business owned us we were traveling uh more than 300 days out of the year i had like i mentioned i had a wife two small my my girls were were very small at the time living in a small apartment in southern california I was an absentee husband, I was an absentee hus- uh, father and it was all for the sake of success. It was all for the sake of ego really. What I was really paying attention is to you know kind of chest pounding look at this thing that I've built. Uh mm-hmm. look at these look at these even even I kind of joke even now as you read my bio and and mention the companies that we worked for those were such a mark of ego for me i cringe even a little bit today reading them out i get that they give credibility and you know all of that all of that sort of stuff but but being transparent those those accolades were the things that were driving me to a life that I did not want to live, <laughs> a life of neglect uh, for my what was most what I said was most important to me, which was my wife and my kids.
1: Yeah, And, I, and I'm sorry to chuckle there, but the only reason I, I I chuckle a little bit is because there are tremendous similarities, you know, as a young military guy. You're looking for that we call it chess candy right yeah. you're looking you're looking for those accomplishments that says, say, "Hey, look at me, look at who I am, look at what I did, and there's a healthy component to that, but it can become quite destructive, you know fairly quickly,
2: yeah, when it's the only thing in focus when the focus is myopic, I think is when it becomes very very exactly
1: unhealthy. man, that's it once once I realize that. Um, things got a lot easier and a lot more f- fulfilling for me you know when you really decide that i am here to be in the service of others and and i can develop skill and talent to to and ena- my my definition of leadership is enabling others right if i can enable others then um then there's fulfillment there so i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt
2: no it's no problem i loved your i loved your input because you're exactly right all of those goals we could call them or aspirations or visions of money and uh, wealth and building large companies and offering a, a stellar product or service. all of that can be incredibly healthy and motivating if if we're also aware that the relationships that we build in life a are the only way that we're going to be able to do those things and 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 B, like that's the most meaningful, fulfilling work that we will do. Um that's the most meaningful investment that we will make, and I was missing that point,
1: so you come back to Utah, you establish the company, or no you established the company in uh riverside california that's and- right. di- and when you moved back to Utah, the company continued obviously you just relocated yourself, but not the uh you you didn't dissolve or or otherwise yeah well
2: let me let me give you just a little bit of information before we move back to Utah okay sure um, sure. Which was through a few events that I won't go into the details on, but we we felt like, I mean, we hit some pretty tough decisions um, and we had some things happen within the company that really shook us, both me and my partner. And it really woke us up. Both of us opened our eyes at that moment and said, well, wait a second, what in the world are we doing look at what we have, this thing that we put all of our time and attention to is so fragile that it can be shaken by one of these events while our families don't see us. And we just knew at that moment, we had created something that we didn't want to be a part of in the future. It was like, if this, if the future of this holds more of what we have, we don't want it. We don't want any part of it. Okay. So We decided at that moment, kind of a crazy idea. But at that moment, we said, if we can't figure out how to live the kind of life we want to live and run this production company, in six months, we'll walk away. And shook on it. That was the agreement. We outlined what the type of life we wanted to live, how we wanted to connect with our families and have a successful company. And we knew we needed help. We knew we couldn't do it alone. And just through some, once again, another lucky situation, one of our partners, we had mentioned it to a couple of our partners, the situation that we were in and the help that we were looking for. And uh, as luck had it, one of our close partners in the design space said, well, I've got a guy you guys should talk to. His name's Adrian Kaler and he is a business coach. So, great. We'll try anything. Let's go. We had a conversation with Adrian in the very first call that Adrian, that we had with Adrian Uh, changed my life forever because of one sentence he said. Basically what the premise of it was, I was outlining everything that was going on, everything that wasn't working, how much we were working, all of that sort of stuff. And then I said, and this isn't working because I'm a family man. And I said, and he said, no, you're not. And I said, "What do you mean?" I was, you know, offended. All of the things. Yeah. And I said, "What do you mean? No, I'm not." And he said, "If you were a family man, you'd be living as a family man." And that, to me, that changed everything to me. That showed me, and I didn't know that I didn't know the trajectory that would unfold uh, unfold over the next four years of working with Adrian. But what what he changed, what shifted in me in that moment is that we have the results we're creating in life. We have them. And if the results you have in life are not what you say you want, then you can change them. You own them. And so all of this, all of this Acting like we want something. Like for me, I was telling everybody, I want more time with my family. I want this. I want that. But really, I was making decisions to set my life and business up in a way that didn't allow it. So I had exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And that perspective yeah. changed everything for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Where you spend your time and your money is where your priorities lie. You know, that's regardless right. Regardless of what you say or think or desire. Where you spend the time and where you spend the money is where your priorities lie.
2: That's exactly right. And that was novel to me as a young business owner and leader of people. And everything started to unfold from there. That is where, you know, that's where I got back in touch with my hobbies, which lie, as we already talked about, in the mountains, recreating. And I hadn't been doing that for years. So that prompted the move back to Utah had to negotiate that separation with my partner and our clients, meaning I was now going to be traveling for everything we were doing. We were kind of location independent at that point. Now we were working with brands that kind of took us all over the place. Um, so, and then that's when we decided to move back to Utah. Um, and you asked earlier, how did I get into this space that I'm in now where I work with leaders, founders? Right. Founders, yeah. How do you CEO?
1: transition from everything you just told us to being somebody who helps leaders develop.
2: That's right on. Well, this experience with Adrian impacted my life so deeply um, that I wanted to be able to do that for others. And I worked with Adrian as a coach. He was my coach uh, for about four years. And then um, we stayed really close to each other through a few other Changes in life, you know, I negotiated the uh, I negotiated the exit of my partner. He helped me through all of that, which was really, really, really powerful. And then at one point about five or six years ago I just said, you know what, man, I want to be doing what you're doing. How do I do it? Can I can I study with you? Can I follow you? Can I watch you? Will you teach me? And that's where it all started. We've been working together ever since. He's one of the founders of our of our uh, firm Take New Ground. Uh, He and Dan Takini. So we still work day in and day out together, uh, helping leaders create the same sort of life that they want to live and connect with their people in a powerful way.
1: Cool. But you're still you're doing that and you're still uh, the owner operator of the film company,
2: not operator owner. Yeah. Ah, So as I mentioned, uh, Alonzo, our intern from 2011, 2010, 2011, whatever it is, he's full operating manager of of the company.
1: Okay. I have a similar journey. Mine was about 34 years in the making. Yours may have been a little bit shorter than that, but, (laughs) but you know, I went, I did the 24 year or 26 year military career. And then I was about 10 years into my private sector life when I realized, okay, I have great teammates who can run this company. And same thing. I just felt this, I, I love all things leadership. I love leading. I love watching people develop as leaders. I love helping people develop leaders. And I, and I love watching them succeed. And so I think you and I are probably of, of one mind in that regard. I just decided to kind of go solo and, yeah. and do my own thing. But I'm still, you know, everything's an experiment, right? Everything is a, uh, how's it going today? You know, am I, do, do we still like that? What is your definition? What is Chad Brown's definition of leadership?
2: My definition of leadership is pretty simple. Actually, it's causing results through others. That's it. So when you're enrolling others to cause results that are desired for the group, for the team, for the purpose, right? This can be in a company, a community, uh, a church or whatever it is, whatever context we're talking about. Really, what we're talking about is enrolling people. To cause results, and and hopefully those co- those results are targeted in a way that we're all clear on what it is that we're working towards.
1: Right, that's right. not
2: always the case. In fact, where most of our clients find us, that's not the case. Yeah. So they are causing results. They just might not be causing the results they say they want.
1: Right, right. Having a clearly defined objective. So I did a uh, I did a podcast with my my good friend and retired Navy SEAL, uh, best selling author and uh just an incredible ceo his name's marty strong we were having a similar discussion and uh you know he's talking about hey okay everybody's in the canoe everybody's rowing things are going great right we got the map and we're go- we're going right where the map says to go and then we go what is that are those waterfalls up ahead you know <laughs> it's like hey did anybody flip that map over that's Niagara Falls. (laughs) So so the team could be different objective,
2: different objective.
1: (laughs) Everything could be going great. You know, the team is coalescing and we're going great, but Hey, Whoa, what's our objective again? Where are we going? Yeah. Uh, so, so that's important, man, but that's a leader's job is to, uh, as my friend, Ryan Coley, Ryan Crowley says, um, you know, kind of create this North star, this, uh, this, and again, back to Marty, he talks about the cardinal direction and and I just think that a leader has to establish and define the cardinal direction and and you have to keep everybody on it. It's not a one and done, right you have to continually uh check your bearing, check your course, check your range and are we still moving in the uh in the in the same cardinal direction um yeah one of the one of the questions we ask is leadership for what? right because a lot of people
2: talk about leadership in this context and they assume everybody knows what they're talking about. We can just say the word leadership and we know what you're talking about. But I say leadership for what? Meaning even the person if if you're a business owner and you know that one person on your team that's the gossip. And they're really good at digging up the dirt on people and then talking about it to other people on the team, well they're actually a leader in your culture. They're just not. They're leading towards a target or an aim that you don't want to have present in your culture. So it's not enough for us, in my opinion, it's not enough for us to just use leadership. We also have to put it in the context of what are we leading towards? What results are we looking to cause? And if you can get clear about that, then we can have that common understanding of what the leadership in our organization is about.
1: So for you, is that a clearly defined mission, like a mission statement or, and, or a vision statement?
2: Sure. It can be those things. Sometimes those things exist as like
1: just stuff on a poster that we hang on the wall. It's unfortunate. Uh, I see that all the time in my clients, you know, most people, you know, mission, vision values, right? And most organizations, they'll have like six or eight or 10 core values and they got 10 of them. And then each each one of those has like a two or three paragraph de- definition. that descri- So you ask anybody in the ploys, what are the core values? They go, um, I think it's, um, oh yeah, yeah, that's one of them. And then, okay, well, what does that mean to the company? Or what does it mean to you? I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. So to, uh, to me, anytime that I start a conversation with a leader, I am looking to find out what the vision is um because that's paramount in our work that is the measuring stick that is everything comes back to the vision when they when they're struggling with a decision how does it how does it contribute to the vision now vision and because of this whole poster idea like put it on a poster hang it up in the office and expect everything to be peaches and rainbows after that right um because of that we have adopted really the phrasing or the terminology of aim and we really work with aim and we think about a marksman, right? And there is no question when you're a when you're a skilled marksman, there is no question what the aim is. And it's very easy to evaluate whether you hit it or not. For sure. That is Clearly very crucial. Yeah? That's right. We have to be able to do a postmortem on it to understand if we hit it or not. And if we can't do that postmortem, it's a worthless vision. So we adopted aim we, we find just the teams that we work with. It tends to work a little bit more functional so that we can re- reference, Hey, what was our aim in this? So that, and it's clearly defined. Did we hit it? Did we not? All of that sort of stuff. I'm not also not huge on goals just because of the context that goals in our society has taken on. They've, they've almost taken on a nice idea. Yeah, that for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I'm not into nice ideas. I'm into yeah. commitment. Yeah. Uh, what are we committed to have happen here and uh, and that's what we're always checking for when we get to work with a new team or a new company is how committed are they to their goal or to their aim and and that's revealed in the results that they're creating at
1: the moment couldn't agree more and you know there's a lot of different ways for leaders to package this and present it to their organization as long as they're doing that what i've discovered is a lot of them and and maybe it sounds like you've had the same discovery a lot of leaders aren't going through this very deliberate process of packaging it you know identifying it packaging it presenting it and then monitoring and following up and and you know uh course correcting where necessary
2: yeah i mean it's it's amazing to go even in some of the most successful brands to go into these teams and see to interview individuals and talk to them and ask them what the aim is and uh, the varied answers that you'll get on a single team of what yeah. that aim is. That's very, very interesting to me.
1: What I do with my own organization, we have a quarterly all hands and I remind everybody. I mean, I walk around and remind people of our mission, vision, values. Um, and then I have, uh, we have focus areas within the organization. Here's the things that we are striving towards, you know, mission. And, I fly Virginia beach, indoor skydiving mission. We bring people together through the dream of flight. And to summarize our vision, it's simply to be the best in the industry at what we do. Uh, So we bring people together. We want to be the best at it. And then three simple core values, loyalty, integrity, professionalism. If I have to define those, uh, you know, hang something on the wall that defines those three words, then this is probably not the best place for you to work you know sure but we if we again my operating system if we consider loyalty integrity and professionalism in all we do and our motto is excellence in all we do then odds are we're going to get it right, and, right on. And, and and if we don't there's probably a, an acceptable reason as to why it didn't go right you know as long as we considered loyalty integrity professionalism so
2: how do you um, I'm curious for you Bob how do you gauge your people's commitment to the mission, vision, and values?
1: Generally speaking, I would say that varies from person to person. Great. Some people are just so selfless and so committed, it's it, it exudes. And, uh, and I just find myself telling them thank you all day long every time I see them. And then there's other people who tend to be a bit more self-serving. And, and self-interest is okay. Like in the Navy, we say, ship, shipmate, self right? Mm-hmm. So, in, so in business, uh, people, number one, you you act in the good of the organization. Number two, you act in the best interest of your teammates. And then self-interest comes after that. Self-interest is okay, but it comes after number one and number two. So to answer your question, when I see people putting self-interest first, then we have to engage in some capacity. And the engagement, the, the way, uh, again, me and my general manager, you know, we spend a lot of time making sure we're doing our job the right way in terms of leadership. But when we engage, we engage from a, a kind of a position of, you know, Hey, uh, John, generically, I don't think I have a John here, so I can say. that. Um,
2: (laughs) John, we're not talking about you.
1: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Hey, John, help us understand uh, the way you built that schedule for last Saturday, because it looked like with all of this, you know, that, that reduced the margins when normally this is what we would do on a Saturday. And, Depending on, you know, John might have a really good response. Well, you know, we had a system error or we had, a, a, you know, a busload of people arrive unexpectedly or this or that or the other. Or John might say, you know, I went and found all these private clients and I was going to be on shift that day during that time. So I squeezed them all in. So I, I don't know. I hope I answered your question, but you absolutely uh, did. I yeah. I loved hearing you say that it's a personal, like
2: it, it's an individual thing for each individual person. Right. Right, And this is an idea that those of you who are leaders who are listening to this, uh, my, from my experience, having the opportunity to come in and work with teams, this is something that's so often missed is the individuality of the people who are working for you. Oh The surprise yeah. is, is, guess what? They're not all there for the same reason. So if you treat them like tools, as if everybody is there for the paycheck, You're going to miss opportunities. You're going to leave leave so much value on the table with your people because you assumed you knew what they were motivated by or why they were there. So with just exactly what you're talking about, Bob, I I have an acronym, PVI. It's personal vested interest. So if I'm working with a leader, a CEO, a founder, an executive, somebody, and they have a complaint about somebody on their team, say they're not performing, they come to me with the complaint. Hey, Chad, I've got this person. I don't know what to do with them. I've had all of these conversations. I've made their uh, their roles are clear. Their objectives are clear. Um, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And my first question will always be, what is their PBI? And if that if that leader can't tell me what their personal vested interest is, meaning what is their vision for their life? Where are they going? What future do they see for themselves worth having? That's their personal vested interest. If they can't tell me what their PVI is, I won't entertain the conversation of the complaint. I will say, let's pause this. Go find out what their PVI is. Go see them as an individual and understand how their PVI, how, how the mission of the company can contribute to their PVI. And w- once you're clear on that contribution, then we can talk about the complaint. But it's clear to me that you haven't drawn that line for yourself or for them, and you're missing them. And that's probably the root of the of the complaint.
1: How is, how, how fully developed does that PVI need to be? And let me just ask: I've got a lot of tw- I've got high schoolers. I've got twenty somethings. I got thirty somethings. I have forty somethings. And I got the old man here at fifty-seven, so <laughs> you know. And, and in my experience, those twenty-somethings they can they they can only answer that question to a certain point. Absolutely, and-
2: I I always say it doesn't matter on the or, or it doesn't matter how quote unquote how developed it is. It it just dep- or it matters if you understand what's going on for them. What yeah, motivates exactly. them? Yeah, yeah, everybody has a future that they see worth having, whether that's next week, or whether that's next year, or whether that's when they retire. Yeah, right. everybody has a future worth having, and that is where the gold is. If you want people, I say that's you don't have to believe me. I ask, don't ask anybody to believe anything I say, just to just to consider it like an idea or a question or get curious about it. Is that the gold? that the 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 sweet spot of people fighting for your mission vision and and values is when they see how the mission vision and values of the company align with their pvi that oh
1: 100% oh man 100% and, and and that's kind of my objective where i am um you know my definition once again my two word definition of leadership is enabling others uh, but the kind of longer version of it. that is enabling others to accomplish their objectives mm. uh, but but their objectives while they're working for you should be in alignment with with your company's objectives but ultimately they have objectives beyond the company and i fully believe it's a leader's responsibility to help them pursue and achieve those objectives beyond the organization so We're man, we're in alignment there.
2: That's so great. I was on a call um, yesterday, actually, with a founder of a company. He's about 110 employees now. It's a software company, very successful in the space that they're in. It's a software uh, software that it it, uh, assists you in finding prospective clients on LinkedIn. They've really they're really taking over the space It's really, really cool. They've done amazing things. The founder is pretty young. And I just asked him I said, Hey man, what is what would you say is the key to this to the success of your company up to this point? And he said, the key to this, and I thought it was going to be well, we just really found a, a niche opportunity or you know, a stale industry or whatever. And he said, The key to my success is from day one, my entire objective was to create a place where people loved working.
1: Culture. It's called culture. Culture
2: a hundred percent. And I said, Well, how did you do that? How do you know if it's a place? How do you know if you're building a place that people love to work? And he said, I had to get to know them and their goals in life. Beyond, beyond my company, beyond a paycheck, be even beyond advancement in the company, even if this was a stepping stone for them. I'm happy about that because this is a solid stepping stone.
1: So culture is so key. And folks, we are going to talk a little deeper about culture. I've got some very specific thoughts there that I would love to share with Chad and and hear his thoughts as we dive deeper on culture. We're going to pick that up right after this commercial break, and we will be right back. And we are back on the Elevate Your Leadership podcast with me, your host, Bob Pazzini. I'm talking to Chad Brown, who is a leadership coach, He's an experienced uh, business professional. He's an outdoorsman living in the wonderful state of Utah in our great country. And uh, he, like me, gets great pleasure out of helping people succeed. Uh, we like to use our experience and our education and our training to help others accomplish their objectives, kind of my definition of leadership there. But Chad, you just you touched on culture before the break and uh, culture is something, so in my, and I call it a quad chart, like four sections of a chart. So we talked earlier about that thing hanging on the wall and yeah. each section in the quad chart kind of feeds the others. And it's, it's a, it's a holdover from my military days, but so mission vision values is one quad, one quadrant. Yeah. Culture became its own quadrant about three or four years ago. You know, yeah. culture used to be a bullet in a different quadrant on the quad chart, but I realized that culture is so critical to everybody else in the organization. You know, my thoughts on that are much less important than what everybody else in the organization thinks about it. And it was obvious through observation and discussion that culture was important to everybody else. So uh, I put in a a process to where um, the team owns it. I will enable culture as the leader. You tell me what I need to do to enable a great culture. And then it's yours from that point Mm. forward, you own it. And Mm. so how do you approach culture with your clients and within your organization? Well, culture is the context which we work. So
2: understanding that all of the aims, all of the goals, all the KPIs are completely dependent on the culture that we have. And that sounds like, I mean, it's very, it's very like popular right now to talk about culture and all, but I believe so. I believe so intently that this is the answer. If you're not hitting the KPIs that you want to hit, if your people are unhappy, if you're not growing in the way that you want to, you want to be growing. I would check first with your culture. And the sure. the, the way that I describe culture is it's the container that your work happens in. So if you think about, I think about when I hear the word container, I think about like a Tupperware
1: container, right? I think of a milk jug came to mind when you said that, but okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So any container. So think about the difference of water or peanut butter inside that container. And your culture is the, your culture determines how quickly you can work, how quickly you can cause results. Is your culture like peanut butter? Is it slow people down? Are there bottlenecks? Is conflict a roadblock? are people talking about each other behind each other's backs? Are they uh, siloing? Are they uh, are they keeping information? Like all of that sort of stuff. That's what I would call like a peanut butter culture. We, what we really, what's healthy is to have a water culture, one where something can move freely. And all of that comes from our, I would say what ultimately develops the culture that we want that allows information to move freely people to have autonomy um innovation to happen uh all of the time um all of that sort of stuff is the way that we talk about the things that nobody wants to talk about such as any difficult conversation that's happening under the table how you're interacting with me if I'm if I'm frustrated with the Bob if you're if I'm working with you or for you underneath you if you if I'm reporting to you, and something about the your delivery to me uh, in correction or feedback is not working for me, do I just ignore it? Do I just pretend like it's not there? Do I shove it down? Or I'm am I willing to have a conversation with you, Bob, and say, hey, hey, Bob, I really appreciate your leadership. You know when you talk to me in this way, this is what I experience. Or when you say this, here's how it lands for me. And it doesn't work for me. Could we explore new possibilities, new ways of communicating with each other? Are you open to that? That, you know, that's like a very simple, Sure. Sure. Simple example of a difficult conversation that comes up all of the time in, in a culture, but, Everything that happens in a culture, I say, moves at the speed of difficult conversations.
1: I'll, I'll add a couple things there real quick. One is, and, and of course, I got my book sitting right behind me and I write about all this. and And this is what I've learned and lived throughout my life regarding having that discussion with the person across the table from you. I view leadership in kind of this three-dimensional fashion called mono, stereo, and surround sound. So mono is... How do I feel? What's my emotional state? How am I going to communicate with you? Stereo is my awareness of how my words are impacting you. Mm -hmm. My awareness of, are you well rested right now and receptive to this discussion? Right. So, so that's stereo. And then surround sound is kind of how that applies to, you know, a, a group as opposed to the other individual. But this goes that. back to my definition of leadership as well, because if everybody knows my definition of leadership, then I know and they know when I'm leading. More importantly, they know when I'm not or when mm-hmm. I'm deviating. Yes. And they can and they can bring me back and they can use my own words against me, you know.
2: <laughs> right on. And what, what you call stereo, we say the meaning is in the listener. Always, the meaning yeah. is in the listener. Yeah. So, you leaders, li- you leaders, listening to this, I would abhor you. I would, I strongly encourage you to go find out how your people are hearing you. If you're not willing to he- like find out, be curious about how they're hearing you. I guarantee, miscommunication is stunting your growth. My
1: methodology is that's a daily practice. Oh, if, oh, if absolutely. I'm gonna. Put something out. If not more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If I'm gonna put something out, I do an all hands four times a year. If I'm gonna put something out to the group, if there's anything that just doesn't seem like a perfect fit, then I'll bring in my leadership team and say, here's what I see and here's what I want to say. Team, tell me if I'm missing the mark here. Mm. Team, help me sharpen the message. It's it's uh it's getting that feedback before damage is done yeah that's know? right that's <laughs> so, right so yeah we I, call that
2: we call that the shit hors d'oeuvre i don't know but i don't know how what your policy on language is so
1: I, I'll, I'll check this one foul language no big deal <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> just a little checkbox on the platform <laughs>
2: we call that we call that the shit hors d'oeuvre uh principle which is give the feedback when it's a shit hors d'oeuvre because if you don't eat it, and we you know, eating it is giving the feedback or dealing with it in the moment and real yeah. real time feedback. Exactly. It's an it's a shit hors d'oeuvre. Like it's it's gross. You don't want to eat it. But if you don't eat it then, it becomes a shit sandwich. Yeah, then a, a three course <laughs> meal. And then when it's a buffet and then a shit show. Yes. And then it should show once it's a buffet, you can't ignore it, but there's so much more damage done and so much more to get through and and deal with. So like you're talking about, if we call it real time feedback, if you can get the closest thing to real time feedback. Yeah. And you can continue to move. And this is why I talk about the viscosity of our culture. You can move faster, the closer to real-time feedback you're willing to give.
1: So I want to go back to culture real quick too, because that to me, that is just one of the most important things that leaders uh, can pay attention to. And again, these are kind of my words and it's what I developed when I wrote the book and everything, but it's, it's reflecting on my military career and it's reflecting on where I am now. Chad and I work really well together. You know, that's a good climate, it means you have good organization, and it means that, you know, everything's in its place. I love working with Chad is good culture. You know, I love showing up every day and seeing Chad at work. That's good culture. Chad and I knocked this project out. Add two or three or four other people to the team or, man, my team at our company works so well with the team in the other department at the same company. That's culture. You know, that's that's positive culture, I should say, because yeah. there could be negative culture, right? Sure. But that's positive culture. And that's kind of what I strive. Now, not every day is unicorns and rainbows. I think, what'd you say? Buttercups and rainbows? Or- <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Some fluffy, so, nice things. <laughs> yeah, but but not every day is unicorns and rainbows. Um, but we, we have to just kind of face those days head on as well. So let, let's kind of go to how you work with leaders. What are some of the things that you encounter What's some of the, like when you go into an organization, they say, Chad, we need your help. What's some of the low fruit? What are the common errors or mistakes that you see in leaders today?
2: Uh, there's so many. I, one of them I already mentioned. We talked a bit about is that you know, so many leaders assume that people are there for the same reason. And the reason that they do that is so that they can shortcut the work and they can use them like tools. And I don't mean that if you're listening to this and you you're in that position, that's not an indictment. That's you're not wrong, bad or broken for that. I'm saying that that's a very commonly cult, like Western culture accepted way of looking at the
1: people that For sure for sure. Um,
2: And and it has its results, which is typically high turnover, unhappy people, a gossip culture, You know, all of those sort of things. So if you're finding
1: compliant, compliant people versus committed people,
2: that's right on, right on. I love that committed versus compliant. So great. Um, The other thing is they conflate uh, a lot of leaders conflate time and, and impact, which is a, is a giant mistake from my perspective. You can, the, the two are not related at all. Most leaders, and I was, in, I was one that was in this trap, right, is that I thought the more time that I spent in my business, the more successful it would be. And I was not paying attention to the impact that I could have on others. And that's ex- the impact. Time is finite. Impact is exponential. That's what we have to understand is that time, your personal time is very finite. You only have so much. But your impact, you can scale as large as you want.
1: That's a, that's a pretty big concept unto itself. But here's what jumped into my head when you said that. It's when somebody comes back 10 years later and they say, you know, I didn't realize it when I worked here 10 years ago or when I worked for you 10 years ago. But now that I'm here doing what I'm doing, man, the impact that you had on my future you know, it's what you, it's what you want to hear from your kids, right? Yes.
2: Yes. Legacy. <laughs>
1: yeah, legacy. Yeah. There you go. Um. Okay. So, so what are some of the other things you see? You see them not paying attention to the individual. Uh, what are some of the other things?
2: Uh, not checking for understanding. We talked about that. A simple question. What did you hear me say? Can clarify and accelerate the speed of communication so fast. Uh, if you're willing to just do that check in, and like you talked about on a regular basis, more than daily, yeah, every time you communicate something that is important to you or the team, check in. What did you hear me say?
1: What you, What you hear people say a lot of times they'll say, "Does that make sense?" And, right, exactly. And you know, I generically, go north and south. But but what I like to say is, I, "Am I going in the right direction here?" You know, do you? Yeah do you, do you understand what i'm saying or what i'm looking for and and, and then it comes to the voice right voice versus vote you want to hear from everybody you know that's I, right I, tell me whatever whatever it is you know it doesn't mean we're going to act on everything but we sure want to hear everything you know that's right well look you're the boss so
2: naturally people want to say the word yes to you So if you say, if you say, does that make sense? The majority of your people are going to want to say yes, regardless of whether they understand or not, because they want to be the one that said yes to the leader, to the boss, right? So if you can formulate your check-in questions that cannot be answered with a yes or a no, you're actually going to find out where people are.
1: Yeah, that's huge. And you're the boss. And, you know, it took me a while to really... Uh, and i'm still i'm still learning you know and i'm still sharpening the sword so to speak but people look at the kind of shoes you wear they look at you know how you buckle your belt they look at they look at all these things these cues from the boss number one to see is this person genuine you mm-hmm. know and, and and number two is this somebody i'm going to follow is this somebody who is ties their shoes the right way or or dresses the right way or conducts themselves in a way that I'm going to grant Trust. them the power. I'm going to grant them the authority and, and follow them, you know? And that's, that's huge. And I think leaders, you know, I'll just give you a quick story. I know this is me interviewing you. No, it's great. I'd love give you. a story. Quick story. I was walking across the floor one day and I had something on my mind and was not paying attention to anybody or anything. Just go across the floor, get to that stairwell and go downstairs. And I had something on my mind. Well, Apparently my gaze caught the eyes of one of the employees who works for me. And five minutes later, 10 minutes later, his supervisor comes into my office and says, why are you mad at so-and-so? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I guess you gave him a look like 10 minutes ago. And now he's all concerned that <laughs> I, I was like, is he even working today? I mean, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but that's something that that as a leader, you have to be conscious of, you know, Um, People are watching for your cues, I guess. And and so you have to be game on.
2: One other that I want to mention is a lot of leaders don't want to let their people into their process because your process, you're human. Uh, We're all human and your process is messy. My process is messy. Bob, I'll bet your process is probably messy. Don't like tell you, anyone, that's our secret. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> like you just said I'm still sharpening the sword and I feel the exact same way. There's so much that I don't know that I don't know that it's sloppy at times. Yeah. And if if you as a leader need to uphold the idea or the picture that you're perfect, that you know everything, that you have all the answers, that you don't make mistakes, that you know on and on and on, if you've got to put on this mask, this is, what I, this is how I hear CEOs and founders talk about all the time is putting on a mask in front of their people as to not like instill doubt. And in fact, it does that exactly. When you can't expose your process, your bumps, your bruises, your falls, when you can't do that with your people and actually rely on them to help you get back up. Then trust will be low in your organization. We Ooh. see it all the time.
1: Magic word right there. That I'm surprised that that this word hasn't come up earlier, but that is the magic word: trust in an organization for sure. So trusting your leaders. You mentioned something else though, this mask, and and it's not really necessarily related to you know imposter syndrome in leadership, but I, I wanted to get your take on this. I have a friend who established uh, a really successful business, she, uh, a woman, you know, life hasn't always treated her so well, but she's really pulled it together. She established a wonderful business, fully supported by the community and by her husband. And, and, and these are people of high moral and ethical character. And she just kind of had an emotional breakdown from what I know of it. She just can't believe she can't accept her success she feels like she doesn't deserve the success that she has worked so hard for and put together because of difficulties early in life. Have you encountered, uh, you know, people like that? Yeah, absolutely.
2: I think it is, you, you mentioned imposter syndrome, and I think that is the definition of imposter syndrome. And I think every leader, every successful, hard driving person deals with some sort of version of this. I'm not going to, attempt to say that it's the same for everybody but there is a version of this that I think at least every leader that I've worked with and certainly myself have struggled with what we call what's popular to call imposter syndrome right now Mm -hmm. and my answer to this my my question or my invitation to leaders is just to accept that you are an imposter that The What you're calling, at least from my take, what you're calling an imposter is that you internally, you know, you don't know what you're doing, but you took action anyway, which is the hallmark of a phenomenal leader. Without a doubt. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to take action and I'm going to listen to the feedback and I'm going to self-correct and then I'm going to get up and go again. That's what you want from every leader in your life. And that, and then we as leaders, we take that and internalize it and going, oh my gosh, I'm an imposter. I'm putting on a front. I'm making everybody believe that I'm something that I'm not. No, you're just a frontiersman. You're just, yeah, you're a pioneer. You're on the leading edge. So, of course, you're going forward, you're taking action, even with all of your doubts, even with all of your baggage, even with all of, you know, all of that stuff you've got going on. So just accept that you are an imposter. You don't deserve it. Meaning I don't think there's anything we can do as an individual to deserve the success. Right It takes, it takes a village. It takes a team. So you're right. You don't deserve it. Just accept that and be with the idea that you don't know what you're doing, but you're going anyway. And that yeah. what that's what gives you the credibility for the people that follow you.
1: That's really profound. You know, and you own it the whole way through. You own the it whole you own way the good, through. the bad, and the ugly, right? That's right. So, yeah, that's incredible. Okay, Chad, you and I are going to have to have another discussion, I can tell. And, Let's do it.
2: This is fun. Uh,
1: yeah, it, it is. And there's so much. It, it's as if you and I are saying the same thing. Uh, th- almost through a different language. You know, you're saying it through the I language of, yep. of somebody uh, who doesn't have a military background, but has had these life experiences. And you know, I come from this military background, which brings uh, similar experiences. And at the end of the day, we have both arrived at the same place, which is mm-hmm. which is pretty marvelous. What haven't I asked you that you think that you would like to share with others? What haven't we talked about yet? That's really important.
2: That's an interesting question. I've been thinking about that through this whole conversation because you let me know you were going to ask that question. And I, I, there's nothing that I'm compelled to share. If I did, I would just be filling space or trying to trying to answer the question. The, the thing about it is that, I guess this is what I'll end on. And this is something that I talk about a lot. There's an idea out there that being at the top is lonely. And so many of us have accepted that like it's a truth capital T truth. Like there's nothing we can do about it. What I tell leaders, what I harp on over and over and over again is that if it's lonely at the top for you, it's because you've made it that way. You've built up walls. The good news is, is that you can tear down walls. In fact, tearing down walls happens much quicker than building them. And so, if you're experiencing loneliness at the top in your position, there's opportunity for you to break down those barriers and to feel connected, the, the like connection beyond what you could ever imagine in your leadership role. Don't just accept the idea that it's lonely at the top. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. I love that. Just there was a point in my professional life where it was lonely at the top. And when I recognized that, I was like, th- it's time to change this. This sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, this yes. lonely at the top stuff sucks. It's and I'm going to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It is the yeah. worst. Yeah.
1: Okay. Chad, uh, you have great programs. Uh, you've got a great organization with TNG. How can people get a hold of you and learn more about your offerings?
2: Well, I'm on all the social media stuff, LinkedIn, Instagram. You can find me in those places. Uh, we have a YouTube channel called Naked Leadership, where me and the two founders of Take New Ground, we do v- different video content, that kind of stuff. So you could check us out there. We have the Naked Leadership podcast. Ultimately, what I would encourage you to do, we we just released a tool in February called the Negotiation Quiz. And through under five minutes, you can answer 15 questions. And at the end, the results of the quiz will tell you your negotiation style Along with the uh, your strengths and your potential blind spots in negotiation. Now that might sound like a left field offer, uh, but we actually believe negotiation is the heart of leadership. Meaning everything that we have in our lives, from the type of company and culture we have to the type of marriages or fathers or or, or mothers that we are, is all all has to do with the way that we negotiate. And so uh, understanding your style and understanding your strengths and understanding your blind spots can help you create the type of leader that you want to be. So if you go to negotiation.takenewground.com, again, in under five minutes, answer 15 simple questions, get your results. I would love to discuss the results with you.
1: That's cool. I love that. So uh, we didn't dive deep on the art and science of leadership, but for me, the art. And when I work with my clients and I talk about the art of leadership, it's very similar to what you just said. Identify those power, those leadership styles and power types that are you and run with them. Mm -hmm. And the ones that aren't you, don't worry about them, you know, get rid of them. That's right. Yeah. Identify your natural strengths, your natural characteristics and, and work on those. So pretty cool, man.
2: I'm dying to know, you mentioned two of the quadrants, but I want to know what the other two quadrants are.
1: Oh, sure, sure. So, um, so we have mission, vision, values as one quadrant. We have focus areas as another quadrant. We have culture as another quadrant. And then we do have objectives. The fourth quadrant is objectives, which are goals would be another word for that. Yeah. Uh, and in that fourth quadrant, those are definable. Those are you know, those are sales campaigns and those are, those are measurable um, objectives within that calendar year. Yeah. So yeah. Great. Love it. Good stuff, man. It's all in the book. Great. (laughs) So, so Hey, Chad, awesome to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on and and let's uh, let's get together again.
2: Sounds great, Bob. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.
1: All right, man. See you later. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the elevate your leadership podcast. To contact Bob directly, or to learn more about how Bob can advance you and your organization through leadership training, team building, executive coaching, and public speaking, visit robertpizzini.com, robert, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com, and connect with him on LinkedIn.